We have been going over the call of God. Okay, the call of God. And we started all the way back at Adam with the universal call as he talked to him and, of course, then asked for um, their need for repentance after they sinned. Oh, we, we walked through Enoch and we looked at him being called away. We looked at Elijah and Elisha. And we've gone through several different, we went through John and we went through Matthew and kind of been working our way through to see that God calls people in specific circumstances where they are. And many times, most of those people that we have seen, though they may have had internal struggles, most of them have just very willingly gotten up and gone with God, okay, and done the things uh, like the man John or the man Matthew, get right up and leave everything the first call. All right? Now here we're going to look at a call that was ignored for a little bit. Okay? This call was ignored until God just slapped him upside the head, basically, and said, you're going to listen to me. All right? So we're going to look at a call today. This is the call of Paul. Okay, Paul, otherwise known as Saul, the same guy, okay, but we, we know him as Paul, and the time after Jesus died and was resurrected was a very unique time in history, all right? Jesus said himself, I have to go from you in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And so he was on earth for about 40 days, visiting different people and stopping with the disciples. And I think there probably were many people that, he, that we don't have uh, representation in the Gospels about. But eventually, after that 40 days was gone, the book of Acts starts off with the ascension of Jesus or the day that Jesus went up and they watched him go up into the clouds. Okay? And after that, everybody kind of went off and stayed together in a group in the upper room. And that group was the church as we know it, okay? The church was kind of put together in that time. The church of Christ was that body. And then one day on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down through and it says like a great rushing mighty wind blew amongst the people, okay? I mean, it was the sound like you probably never heard before. It wasn't quiet, but it probably shook the house. And God, God says, I'm here, and you know it. And fire was on top of their heads, which must have been a strange thing at that moment. Uh, I wonder what they first thought about that, but obviously they all knew God was there. They began speaking other languages without having ever been trained in it. Um, and doing things where people from other countries that they'd never spoken to or couldn't speak to, all of a sudden now they could speak to them. And it says, you know my language, because God was preparing the church... To spread to the world, okay? He had at that moment in history prepared the world for him. 
And now he was preparing the church to go back out into the world. Now the world, up to that point, had been very closed off, lots of small kingdoms. But as you saw people like the Babylonians and the, and the Medes and the Persians come across, and the Greeks, and finally you ended up with the Romans who built the roads. Now they had language that was spread throughout, okay, that was oftentimes the same. Greek was used throughout the place, all right, and it was common because the Greeks had come through. And then when the Romans came along, the roads were built, and there was protection from the armies all around because Rome was trying to hold on to their territory, so they stuffed soldiers in every place. God had all this plan. Now, it looked terrible to a guy who's living somewhere in some little town because there's Roman soldiers marching around to tell you what to do. But God had a plan and said, I'm going to spread this gospel from one side of the world to the other, and I'm going to do it in a short time. So God used the language that people had brought through. He used the roads and the kingdom and the protection and the movement of people that were allowed, and he brought through the gospel of Christ in a very short time. God can act in a very short time. Do not be deceived. God is always preparing for what he has next, even when it doesn't look like it. Okay? So here it is, that special, unique time where it's a small church in Jerusalem. Jesus has left. The Holy Spirit has come. And this small church is serving people. Now, in a short day, it grew from around 300 to 3,000, okay, because they kept telling others about Christ and others about Christ and it spread. But in that very short time, we see servanthood take place. And the disciples are trying to figure out what to do. Now, they had been serving all of these people meals. You put 300 people together in a room and feed them every day. It's a lot of work. Those people that work in the kitchen here know that, right? It's a lot of work. How about doing it three meals a day, keeping after these people? And the disciples were trying to do that. And they finally said, hey, just we got to pick some people that can do that. So what we need, if those people are going to serve tables for us, we need people full of the Holy Spirit. Now, you never thought of that before. If you're going to serve food, you better be full of the Holy Spirit, right? But that's one thing they said, is you better be full of the Holy Spirit if you're going to do it. They picked a man named Stephen. And you're like, what has all this to do with Paul and Saul? Well, we're, we're getting there. But he is an important person in Saul's life. Paul, Saul, doesn't like Stephen. Okay, and that's, that's an important thing to know. We begin to look at Paul's story by looking into Stephen's story. Stephen is one of those people that has chosen to wait on tables. He's a young man, we are guessing around the age of 17, roughly, to 20, somewhere there, full of the Holy Spirit. They said he's an amazing young man. You watch the guy, he's, got, he's, he's full of God, and everybody that talks to him knows it, and he's just serving you food. Okay, So we got to go to Acts chapter 7 to pick up his story. Just for the sake of time, we cannot read his entire, um, his entire 
sermon, but Stephen basically stands up in front of everybody. This young guy, um, Acts chapter 7, you can read the whole thing on your own at some time, but he stands up and he tells everybody about Christ. And he is so powerful that all of the people standing around him, many of the leaders turn against him and want to kill him. Okay? And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Chapter number 7 of Acts, verse number 51. We'll pick the last bit of his... uh, Last bit of what he has to say to these people, and you wonder why they don't like him. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and the murderers? So he calls them outright. You guys have murdered Jesus Christ. You did it. Turn and repent. All right? Verse 53. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And that's his last words. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I guess he's got God's attention too, so he's doing pretty good. All right? Verse 57, And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, which is common amongst people who don't want to hear. Right? I don't want to hear what you have to say. Literally, like little children, throwing their hands over their ears. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, The Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So there's little Stephen. Okay, They drag him out of the city. And he says, just like my Jesus, I'm going to say, forgive them. Don't, don't hold this against them. They don't even know what they're doing, just like Jesus. I've seen you, Jesus, and I'm going to be that martyr. I don't mind dying, and they do. They kill him right there. And the significance of this is, here is Saul. It doesn't say that he picked up stones to kill him. I think Saul thought that he was a little bit too good for that. But he certainly watched on with delight and says, I'll hold your coats so you can throw it a little harder. I'll take those coats. He agreed wholeheartedly as they killed young Stephen. Here is a man full of hate. He really is angry. He does not like what Jesus did and said. 
He does not like anything about this church. They are changing his lifestyle. They are changing his value. They are changing. Paul's a big a Pharisee. And he called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So he had gone to school. Like very high levels of school. Okay. He studied under very famous rabbis. He knew all of his training was just right, and he'd lived his life all just according to the law. And he had done it well. In his own estimation, he'd done it perfectly. And so, anything to get rid of these Christian people. We're going to wipe these people out because they are nothing but a wart on this whole thing, and we're going to wipe them out and get rid of them. Because this will go away as fast as it came. And we'll be back to things the way they were. And this is what Paul is thinking. All right? But God's got a different plan. See, he's full of hate towards Stephen. And he says, stone him. Okay? Stone him. We want to get rid of him. But God, as we will find, is working another angle. God is calling inside of Saul's heart. And I think though he was there, and though he agreed with it, there was a piece of him that was struggling with the whole thing. In his mind, he no doubt probably said, let's just, this is for the best. We'll take this pathway, we'll get rid of these people, and we know this is all going to turn out to be nothing anyways. All right? And so, we continue on with Saul's story, just another chapter or two over, uh, Acts number 9. Acts chapter 9. So we pick up Saul's story. Meanwhile, Saul has gone and he is persecuting the church in Jerusalem. But he's not happy with that. He has to get more. And he is going to take out more people because when he's persecuting the church in Jerusalem, now they're spreading. They're going up to other places. And they're spreading. Those, those pesky Christians keep leaving and starting trouble in other places. So Saul is going to follow him. And he's got special papers, essentially, from the local judges, probably the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that came out and said, we need to get and kill Christ. They're glad to sign papers. Yes, Saul, go out there, take those Christians down. We have got to stop this rebellion. And that's the way they look at it. And so Saul is on the road to a place called Damascus. Verse number 1 of chapter number 9 of the book of Acts. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, or any that were Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, 
Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So, God's going to take a little more attention of, of Paul, okay, here. He has obviously been poking at him. And that's what he says. Now, if you, if you have ever uh, trained large animals, you don't start off training large animals with, with just commands and say, turn to the right. They don't hear those words. They hear them, but they don't know what that means. Okay, And so whether it is an oxen or a horse, you have to put pressure on them to turn a certain way. Okay? With, with horses, they put bits in their mouth and bridles, okay? And what they do is when you want them to turn to the right, you may say something, but you pull on their bridle and it pulls on one side and makes pressure. They want to relieve that pressure, so they turn their head that way. And then they turn, and they learn over time to turn. Now, you might be good enough eventually to teach them to associate those words with that movement, but it does not happen that way to begin with. The pressure has to be there. You pull a little bit, and they say, oh, okay. Now, oxen oxen are a different story, and there's not a lot of oxen teams out there anymore, but there are a few, and you don't put a bit in their mouth. You tie them together with the, with the old traditional yoke, and we have one around here somewhere hanging around. Uh, so what they do is walk behind them, and they have a long, sharp, pointy stick called a goad. And they take that goad, and when you want them to turn one way, you poke them, kind of put pressure on the rear end of them, and they walk away from that. Okay, And you poke them the other way, and they will walk away from that. Now, eventually, really, they really don't need... You're not trying to give them pain. Okay, But just like people, there are stubborn animals out there who do not bend to the first little bit of pressure that, that is given to them. Right? It takes a little more and a little more till they finally say, Oh, okay, I'll go. All right, And the whole point is the the pain is relieved when you walk away when you turn that direction right except then there are a few special ones of us we just get angry when we feel the little poke we kick right that's what we do that's the first thing we do we don't even think about turning that's not in our mind my my mind i'm going where i want to go i've got all my plans all laid out i don't care what you want so when I poke or push anything, I kick. All right? And if you've ever had the pleasure of being kicked by an animal, it takes out of you what you never thought you had in you. Okay? <laughs> Stepped on, kicked, pushed, all those things. That is a big animal. And they push and they kick, and they don't want to do what you want them to do. Even though you know, listen, this is what you're here for, right? If you aren't raised as an oxen team to plow, you wouldn't even exist, okay? So you're here, so you better learn how to do this. Because remember, I'm the one who feeds you, right? <laughs> so teaching them over time is, is one of those experiences, and it takes time. And a little pressure sometimes. 
go this way. And lots of times we don't listen. We keep going our own way. Little more pressure. Little more pressure because we don't do that. And what Jesus says to Paul that day is, Hey, Paul, did you notice there's been a few hard things in your life lately? Did you notice that, how hard your life has gotten, how much anguish you're in inside? You just can't kick enough anymore. You thought you were in charge, but I'm telling you that you're not in charge. I'm calling you, Paul. Some of us need this. Like like Paul, finally, when we kick and we kick and we kick and we kick, God sometimes just takes us right out and says, no more. Now you'll listen. As Paul's laying on the ground, which is not anything that a person of great respect, as Paul was, self-respect and respect of all other people, he was not a man to lay down. A lot of us are like that. We struggle with those things. We struggle with those. And finally, God gets his attention, and, and he's down on the ground, and God says it's very difficult for you to keep kicking. You do it, and you do it, and you do it, and I'm still there, and I haven't given up on you. I keep going after you. And I've been convicting you, Paul, about what you're struggling with. You didn't even know what you were struggling with, but I'm here to tell you. I want you to listen to me. Now, pretty powerful in that moment. God is like that. Years ago, I went with Bob Pask and we go out fox hunting and uh, had fox hounds and it's quite an experience if you've never hunted with hounds um, it's exciting as you go out you get the fox hounds and out they go you see that first fox and then all of a sudden those dogs get a scent and they're off and you hear howl and howling and howling and howling and it's going further and further and further away you're hoping they're not running off, the dogs. But eventually, that fox turns around back on its own tracks many times and runs back to confuse the dogs. And here comes the dogs right back around because those dogs want to get to that fox. God is like that in our life. The Spirit of God has been called the Hound of Heaven because He doesn't quit. He just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And if you won't listen, he keeps coming. <laughs> He's going to catch up with you. He wants you to know that he's there. He wants you to stop and turn. And that this is the day that Paul gets slapped upside the head and he gets hit so hard he's down on the ground. And that's what we need. Lots of times. I need that. I need that to remember who I am. And a lot of times my own falls and my own sin just teach me how little I am. 
just how little I am and how insignificant. They call them delusions of grandeur, and we often have them as humans. We think we are much better than we are. Really, we're all in the same struggle together. We're all doing the same thing. We all are the same type of people. Every once in a while, somebody needs a good knock upside the head, really, just to listen. And God did it. Here he is, down on his knees. says, it's getting hard for you, Paul. You want to keep going? I'm telling you, mercifully, I'm stopping you here so you'll listen. Now, somewhere in Paul's mind, you know he's been battling. Way deep down inside those late nights, those early mornings, he's been thinking about it. It's been torturing him, what's been happening. And oftentimes, we end up with that. We have an internal battle. Makes us exhausted. We have no joy. It's all gone. We just seem like we're just trying to get to the next step. If I just keep going. And somewhere along the line, that internal battle comes to some stop. When God says, have you had enough? Because i just like you to listen. That's all I want. Is you to listen. I've been poking you. You got it. I've been after you. You've been hearing the hound coming behind you. So what does Paul do? Well, here it is. Verse 6. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a good question to ask when you're in this place. That's it. That's almost the only question to ask. What do you want me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So God says, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to tell you the next step. Because you're going to have to learn to listen. I'm not going to give you the whole picture. You're going to go the next step. So get up and go in the city. And I'll give you more instructions. Because you've, got, you've been listening to yourself for a long time. And now you've got to learn to listen to me each step of the way. I'll give you this much and no more, and then you just keep doing that till I give you something else. That's it. God works that way a, long, a lot of times. A lot of times we get real impatient waiting for that next step, and we try to figure it out, or we take away, and we go some direction, and God says, well, you can do what you want, but I only told you last to do that. So I'll get you there eventually. It might be a little harder pathway that you're taking. Just do what I asked you to do last. And so, verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Now, so we see that Paul saw Jesus. Okay, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. There it is, Saul. Here's your answer. This is a reminder what you are. You're blind. Blind to your own self. And I knocked you down on the ground, 
And you got up and when you opened your eyes, you thought you were seeing, you saw me, but I was inside showing you things. Not by the vision you're used to seeing by, but by spiritual vision. I'm showing you something that you can't see with your own eyes. It says, those eyes are no good for you anymore. You've got to start looking a different way than you've ever looked. And so he stands up and he's blind. And this proud man is now walked the rest of the way by his hand. Head down, no doubt. He wasn't looking down his nose at anybody anymore. And he came in and he sat down for three days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. And I think God, right there, unleashed knowledge on that man. Spiritual knowledge. Now he had had physical knowledge and learning and he had things that he knew. And he truly, you read his stuff, it's some of the hardest stuff to read in the whole Bible. It is amazing how he connected what he knew with what God showed him. And how he put it all together for generations to see. I mean, you have all that physical knowledge, then there's this piece and God says, You didn't know anything till I came and put that on top and showed you what you really could see. I'll show you what's true, what's right. I'm going to give you new vision. I'm going to give you something new. Without your eyes, you're going to see something. And so, Paul starts to learn. And Paul starts to write. And Paul starts to see things that he's never seen before and experience things he's never experienced before. He was educated. He was on track in all his mind. He had everything right. But he missed that one great thing. And by missing the one great thing, he really was blind. That was his problem. God was showing him, you're really blind to your own self. You really don't have anything. You have no real vision. And so, God did that. And God did a miracle and, and brought his sight back to him. Okay, That's something you'll see uh, next week, we, we finish up this whole series. But the idea is this. They said about Paul, they believed that throughout his entire life, he suffered with things where they say his eyes were maybe even pussy and running all the time. He couldn't see. He had to write real big. There was actually, I think it's the book of Galatians, he wrote kind of angrily and quickly. And he said, you see what big letters I write this with because he can't see anymore. For the rest of his life, God put that little reminder. You had no vision till I gave you vision. You had no real thought till I gave you that. You might have been the smartest man alive, but you weren't till I showed you. What was true, real knowledge. So that's oftentimes what we do. And my soul is as stubborn as any of you out there. All right? I've struggled with sins for a long, long time. And what I find often about myself is I just don't want to give them up. And I can't give you a reason why. I can't tell you 
God says, turn around and do this. And I say, yes, I want to. And yet I'm often slow to hear it and to see it. Right? What the Bible calls dull in hearing. I'm there. I want to be hot for the Lord. And oftentimes I don't feel it because the struggle inside is harsh, hard. That old part of me is hard. Don't, doesn't want to give it up at all. But when God calls, he is patient. And he does call us to do something. And, and I believe right now that we are in this place in our nation where God is calling. God is calling and saying, hey, turn around. Just like, just like Paul. Turn around. Don't go heading the way you're heading. You're heading out to persecute those people. Turn around right now. Now, we've got a lot of people that are dull of hearing from top to bottom. When we're all looking right at the top and saying, how can we fix this? How about we start down here? How about start the first place that God started anywhere that God has ever done anything in this life? And it's true with Paul. Any movement... Any great thing he's ever done, he has started in the heart of one person or a few people. He has never started with a great big, I'm going to move the world all. He starts in the hearts of people as we patiently wait. And he moves this person there and that person there and this person over there and that person over there and that. Pretty soon we say, hey, there's a movement. Yeah, because God's been doing these things individually everywhere. God is working that way. He does not start by changing things there. What did God first put into place? His first institution was the family. Well, how well have we done there in this nation? Not too good. We let them go apart. We have weak families, and you know why? Because we, and I see me too, we don't teach our kids to love God's word. To love God and God's word. It's simple. The idea is simple. It's hard to do. It takes a lot of effort. But if we can teach our kids and our, our kids and us to love God's word, to begin with that, then our nation starts to move back to where God has it to be. And then the church. And then the government. And all the things out there. But it starts right in there. There's no heart in government. We have our own hearts need to be changed. That's where we begin. Then you work out in the things that we have. This is where we begin. So at all costs do we stand up for what's right. You look at what happens in Paul. Paul is marching the wrong way and God Smacks him in the head, turns him upside down, says, go back. You turn in another direction. And when he does that and he listens, the world turns upside down for him. You know where he ends up? In front of governors. He ends up in front of leaders, the Roman leaders, and eventually right in front of Caesar himself. Because God says, you're going to listen? I'll get you to where you need to be. I'll take you there. But today, let's deal with what you're kicking against. 
You're kicking against what I have to say to you. Listen to me. Turn around. And so Paul turned, and Paul opened churches. He turned the world around. He has affected our lives today, 2,000 years later. He's affected what we did because he listened. This is the thing. We just don't know what we were born for totally yet. Some of us may know more. But until we've seen a time like we live in today, we don't know what we were born for. But let me tell you, we're on the cusp. But if we're not ready in our hearts, and if we're still kicking against all of those goads that God's saying, I want you here, listen to me. If we're still kicking against that, then we may never know and might pass us right by. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready, and we've got to listen, learn to listen, be willing to listen carefully to God's voice, and not just kick and kick and kick, because it will never get us where we want to. Now, God's patient. God's kind enough sometimes to slap us up against the head, right? And say, oh, gee, I didn't see that. He's kind enough to do that. Sometimes we need that direction in our life. Let's listen. Let's learn that the call of God, oftentimes, he is that hound of heaven, right? Listen to it. Pay attention, because he wants us. He's going to come after us until we turn. That's what he wants. And then once we do... Look out, because God's going to do change the world, right? Now, whether or not politically things change or not makes no difference as long as you're ready, because God's plan, somewhere you fit in that, however it is. I don't care if the end of the world is tomorrow. Somewhere in there you fit in that. Or if it's years out, makes no difference. God says, be here, be ready in your heart. Listen to my voice. So the call of Paul is that calling that says, turn around. Make a 180 and let's go and do what I've asked you to do. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day.